Father in heaven, what an appropriate song to enter into our time of entering into your word. That is our prayer this morning, that the word of God would speak, that it would touch lives, it would remind us of its power, that your spirit would have freedom this morning as we handle a difficult topic, but one that is so pertinent to each and every one of our lives. So Lord, with grateful hearts and thankfulness for being here this morning, we thank you as we enter into your word and allow it to speak in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Um, I want to ask you a question as we begin this morning. Have you ever been judged by somebody? And have you ever said to yourself, how can that person judge me? They know nothing about me. In fact, the judgment of me is not, not even close, you know. And, and do you remember how you felt because somebody judged you in that way? Um, you know, we're, we're finalizing our series today on toxic when our faith hurts others. And the reality is, if we're brutally honest and we look over the history of the church and we look at, at, at the way that, you know, and again, I want to be really careful how I say, say this, out, people outside the church versus people inside the church, the people outside the church don't view it necessarily as a very healthy organization. In fact, you know, uh, you know the, the, the primary word that people outside of the church use about the church is that it's judgmental. Okay? Um, and if you've been here the last number of weeks, we, we've, we've filtered through a whole bunch of passages that talked about, you know, uh, when are you being judgmental? When are you being discerning? Because the Bible does talk about being discerning. Like, you know, we just can't let everybody do whatever they want, that there's a time that you have to step in. There's a time that you have to say something. But it's how do you do it? You know, it's not often what you have to say. It's how you say it, right? You know, if we're brutally honest, a lot of times, uh, just, just because we've offended somebody doesn't necessarily mean we've been wrong. Okay? So this is a really difficult subject. So how do, you, you know, how, how do we kind of navigate these really difficult waters of when is it time for us to be discerning? And we, and we talked even to the point that when, when we're inside the church, when we're this community inside the church, the rules are totally different than when we talk about people outside the church. Because people outside the church, uh, you know, it's, it's a whole different game. Okay, so, um, you know, uh, I, I thought as we're closing the series out, as we're talking about this whole topic of judgment, that we're going to really kind of all bring it together. But I thought the best way for us to do it this morning, uh, as we're talking about toxic, is I want to reset all the gauges, if I can do that this morning. Because at the very heart of this thing being judgmental, and our being judgmental, and us being hypocritical, and, and all those awful words that get attached to the church... There, there is a, a passage of scripture that I want to take us through this morning that it, in essence is going to kind of surprise you because you wouldn't typically go to this passage if you're going to be talking about how to handle being judgmental, how to handle uh, the, the way you respond to other people, etc., etc. And it comes down to two important things that I've talked about in the past, but we're going to kind of like reset the gauges this morning because it's a very important passage. And I think it's a passage that we have to remind ourselves every time we step into that opportunity or step into that relationship and that we're about to get judgmental. Okay? So it's a very, very, very important 
important passage, okay? Um, so this is the, this, again, like I said, uh, it's going to surprise you. It kind of surprised me when I sort of started filtering through these series of messages and came upon this passage. So we're going to reset gauges this morning, and we're going to look at a passage out of Matthew 18, all right? Um, we're starting in Matthew 18, verse 1. And the, the passage begins this way. About that time, the disciples came to Jesus. Uh, this is a passage about Jesus and his disciples. That they came to Jesus and they asked this question. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Okay, I want to stop right there. All right? Um, Jesus has been going across the countryside uh, presenting himself as the long-awaited Messiah. He's, he's you know, been telling the disciples that he is going to die. He's going to die as the, as the sacrifice and the savior of the world. That, that the kingdom of God, and, and by the way, kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven in the Bible are synonymous, okay? Matthew uses kingdom of heaven. The other gospel writers, uh, Mark and Luke, use kingdom of God, but they're synonymous. They're, they're, they're the same thing. So that's what's being talked about here. And the Jewish people knew that the, when the Messiah would come, this new kingdom would be born. This, this kingdom where, where what is on, on, in heaven would, would be enacted on earth. And, and part of that kingdom being enacted would be the people of God, the church of God. And, and a lot of scholars and theologians uh, know that when Jesus returns the second time, that the kingdom will be consummated then, that the kingdom will come to full fruition then, okay? I know I'm giving you a whole bunch of theological stuff right now, right? But many theologians talk about the church living in the already but not yet, is what they say. That the, that the kingdom of God is already here, but it's not fully consummated until a time in the future when Jesus comes and fully realizes. So we have the benefits of the kingdom of God right now, right here, as we try to live it out, okay? So this is what the disciples are hearing from Jesus and recognizing that whatever Jesus is bringing right now is really important stuff. Really important stuff. So they come to Jesus and they ask this question, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, I don't know about you, that seems like a pretty innocent question. And you know, you would expect that the answer would be that Jesus would give kind of a, you know, those that have been faithful for years, those who have been obedient to the law of God for years, um, you know, the best in the kingdom of him, those who have demonstrated, you know, a perfect obedience for all this amount of time, who have suffered greatly for the kingdom. You expect all those kinds of answers. But the way that Jesus responds to this question just demonstrates the brilliance of Jesus. Because a question like this, let's be honest, a question like this, what does it set us up for? Elevating ourselves above others, doesn't it? Doesn't this question potentially, you know, wouldn't the disciples expect to say, to hear, you know, you guys are going to have a very important place in the kingdom? Don't you think that's kind of what they're expecting to hear? You know? And I don't know, this, this, I call this question a potential for judgmentalism to begin to be fostered in the lives of the disciples, if we're brutally honest. Because if they start thinking of themselves as special, they start thinking of themselves 
as, as people who are going to have a special place in the kingdom of God. That's going to raise their status. And humanly speaking, that can be a very dangerous thing. And here's the brilliance of Jesus. I love the way he takes this question that has a potential for fostering judgmentalism in the disciples. And look what he does with it. Okay, let's read the rest of the passage. Jesus called a little child to him and put the child right in the middle. Then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You asked who was going to be the greatest. You thought that this answer was going to be something that was going to benefit you, your position, and your privilege that you have right now. But guess what? Here it is. And anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. Notice the parallel. All right? That Jesus sees this is very, very important. But if you cause one of these little ones who trusts in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. In other words, you, 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 know, you drag a little child away from faith in Christ, consequences are extremely serious. Extremely serious. Okay? That's a parental right there. Right? What sorrow awaits the world, notice how Jesus now expands the whole situation, how sorrow awaits the world because it tempts people to sin. Temptations are inevitable. I love that. But what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting? I don't know about you, but that, that you know, absolutely Talk about how do you answer that question and look at the way that Jesus answers that question. Absolutely deflects everything that the disciples were probably anticipating or or thinking was going to be the answer. And that's the brilliance, brilliance of Jesus. You know, I personally, you know, I personally think what, what makes this passage so powerful is that little children are naturally inclined to faith. Are they not? Little children are are born with this innate sense of faith. This innate sense of seeing the world in, in a much broader and a much bigger um, reality than what, you know, taste, touch, smell, hear, all of those kinds of things. And that's the wonderful thing about, about a child. Um, this, this innocence, this, this innate connection to the other world that we, can, that we can talk about things like faith so openly. You know, when you tell a little child that Jesus is in heaven, right, they, they, they grasp that in a natural way that we can't imagine how it's so easy. You know, they might not understand where heaven is and where is heaven, you know, can point it to them and, and all that kind of stuff. But isn't it amazing how willingly and, and how easily they accept that? And isn't it amazing how you watch them grow? I watch two sons grow and watch them struggle with their faith as life, right? And the reality of life around them. 
And you say to yourself, what happens? What is it about life in general that kind of runs over us and tramples over this thing that is so natural when you're, such a, when you're so young and small and innocent and accepting and willing to trust? It's amazing, you know. Uh, any little kids in here? Okay. They won't under... Oh, yeah, Dave, you're past the Santa thing, right? Okay. Um, yeah, why is it... You know, you know I, I made the mistake once of upsetting a family because they said something about Santa Claus not being real in front of the kids. You know, I... Oh, I, I'm still demonized over that one. Um, you know, and it was just harmless, you know, because it's just, oh, but, why, but, but why, why, why is it as, as parents that, you know, we can talk about Santa uh, down the chimney, every child in the world, blah, 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 and kids just get it, right? What is it about that? And, and then we have struggles trying to talk about a baby in a manger. Come for the salvation of the world and all of those kinds of things. Right? Um, but it's true. You know, one of the things I don't like about the Internet, right, which will probably surprise you because I, I, I love technology, but it ma- it's made the world a smaller place. Right? That's the one downside to the Internet. That's one of those good things, bad things, right? But I, I kind of liked it when the world was kind of open and exciting and, and, and new adventures and all that stuff. But sometimes the Internet can make the world seemed awfully small and like you're right there, right? And we kind of lost the wonder. And I think this is a lot of what Jesus is talking about is this wonder of a child that we've lost in our faith and lost about it. And the warning, the warning is really serious. Now, I've said this many, many times. God is more concerned about your faith than your circumstances, And often your circumstances are a gauge or they're a measure in which God is using your circumstances to mold and shape your faith. And often we look at the circumstances and we say, God doesn't love me. Where God is actually using those circumstances to deepen your faith in him and we forget that. That's why this passage is so important when it comes to the matter of being judgmental. Because whenever we judge someone, it has a direct relationship in their ability to either grow in their faith or not. That's why it is so important because, as I've said, faith is so important to God. That's why Jesus takes a passage like this and talks about, you know, be careful about elevating yourself. Be careful about the question you ask. Be careful about thinking yourself that you're in a place where you're, you know, where, where you're in a religious sense above everybody else. But the fact of the matter is, in a religious sense, if you are being an authority in the church, if you are being an authority as a religious leader, and you're affecting the faith of other people, you better be very careful how you affect that faith. Very careful how you affect that faith. And that's, and that's the question I want to ask, and that's the question that gets driven out of this particular passage, that Jesus leans into humility, that when you're going to talk about this business of faith, that you lean into humility. You don't lean into authority. You know, last week we talked about Jesus, how he spoke against the religious leaders, 
right? Because they were putting a burden on people and it was affecting their faith in a negative way and they were putting things on people that they themselves wouldn't do. And they were becoming hypocrites in what they were doing. And Jesus is more concerned about that hypocrisy affecting the faith of another person because when people see us as hypocrites, it doesn't give a lot of value to the faith that we say we have. All right? That's why this is such an important passage. Here's the question I want you know, how do my actions and reactions affect the faith of others? That's a very valid question. And that's exactly what Jesus is presenting here. Be careful. The faith of a child. How your actions and your reactions affect the faith. And the expands it to the whole world. Those that do the tempting. Those that do the tempting. Faith is so important to God. Be careful how you affect the faith of another person. Because it could be for good and it could be for ill. Jesus is advocating a posture of humility. That as believers, it is the first personal characteristic that we need to adopt as believers in Christ. It's, it's not an easy thing, but it's a reality. You know, between you and I, we love being judgmental, don't we? Yeah, it's easy. It's, you know, it's easy, isn't it? I would never do that. How could they do that? Why would they do that? Are they that dumb? Are they that stupid? Are they, no, you know, I'll, I'll go back to what my dad used to say all the time when I was growing up. My dad used to instill this in me all the time. He said, just because people have a brain doesn't mean they're going to use it. <laughs> right? He used to say that to me all the time. Because I'd say, you know, I'd be this little guy, I'd be walking with my dad, and I'd say, did you see that? And he goes, what did I tell you? And i said, okay, they got a brain. And I use it. All right, okay, okay, you're learning that. Thank you, you know? And that's not to put, you know, I'm being judgmental, I know, right? Okay? But isn't it easy? Isn't it easy? Isn't it easy? Have you ever been, have you ever been I've, I've always been amazed where, you know, from a distance you hear a story. Or you hear something happening to a couple or, or whatever. And suddenly you get called into the situation, right? Have you ever been in, in, in one of those? And then you hear the real story and you go, oh my God, you got, no wonder you acted like that. No wonder you said that. No wonder you did that. No wonder. You know, and, and I've, I've just been shocked. So it's like, you know, I've, 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 I've always said, you know, one side of a story is, guess what? One side of a story, right? You've got to be very, very, very careful. So I want to give you some warning signs about being judgmental. Here, here, are, some, some, here are some warning signs, kind of a, a summation of what, we, we, what we've been talking about. Built out of this passage, all right? Um, and, and I want, again, I want to be really sensitive. We've all done this. We've all been there. Let's all just breathe a sigh of relief that, hey, somebody finally recognizes what I'm doing wrong. All right? And, and here's the first one. Someone else's sin upsets you more than your own sin. Someone else's sin upsets you more than your own sin. You know, that's that passage that Jesus said, why do you look at your, the speck in, in the other person's eye when you've got this huge beam or this log in, in your eye, right? Um, I think it was um, 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer, if I remember, I think it was Dietrich Bonhoeffer that said, um, you can, the first step of maturity for a believer, for a, for a Christian, is to recognize the hypocrisy in the church. That's what he said. Uh, I thought, you know, I said, wow. You know, it's a, to realize just the hypocrisy in the church. The second sign of maturity is to recognize the hypocrisy in yourself. I thought that was pretty good, you know? And isn't, isn't, isn't that what happens? You know, have you ever heard somebody be really critical of somebody else and you kind of look at them and say, you're the worst for that? Have you ever said... Come on, come on. Have you ever, you know, isn't that funny in a bad way? Um, all right, we're, we're kind of hit. All right, in golf, that's called a hole-in-one. Um, okay, but that's, that's a big problem. Secondly, forgiveness is a foreign concept. To, forgiveness means... Absorbing the debt that you believe somebody has against you. And offering love and goodness in return. Okay? I don't want to even talk about forgive and forget and, and all of that kind of stuff. And, and we're going to expand on this one in just a moment. Um, forgiveness as a believer has to be an option. There's no two ways about it. Forgiveness as a believer has to be an option. Just as Christ, in, just as God in Christ forgave you, you are to forgive others. All right? Again, easy? No. Not a chance. But it is what the empowerment of the Spirit of God transforming your life, molding you into the person of Christ, making you able able to do what, humanly speaking, you could never do on your own. Very, very important. I'm not saying, I never would say that this is easy. And for some of you here this morning, you're thinking of someone that is virtually impossible to forgive because of what they did to you. And that's an incredible burden and barrier in your life. Okay? But forgiveness has to be an option as a believer because of, because of just the place of judgment that it puts that person in. And we're, we're going to expand on this in just a, a second. Uh, you break up with those who disagree with you. Okay? You, you automatically, uh, if they don't agree with you, it doesn't matter, faith, politics, you name it. Your, your first inclination is to just break up with them. I you know, want nothing to do with that person. You've kind of put them in a place, and that's it, and they're, and they're out there, all right? Not even a chance. You know, this is a tendency that you might lean towards judgmentalism, all right? Um, I, I, I like this one. I, I'm glad I clarified it this way, to be honest. But you gossip with malice. Everybody gossips, let's face it. Everybody has something to say. Some of us hide it as a prayer request. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we all gossip. Come on, let's, 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 you know. But when you gossip with malice, 
all right? When you're intentionally, and, and notice that you, you love to gossip in, a, in, a, in threesomes, right? You know, and you love, love to triangulate, right? Um, you know, it's this person you have against, and, and instead of talking to that person, you decide to talk to this person. You get this triangle thing going, and you're on my side, and we can both go against this person. And then you continue to triangulate as you gossip further. And, and the next thing you know, that person feels surrounded. And that was God's emphasis on that last word, surrounded. Okay? And have you ever been surrounded by people who are gossiping about you? And you say to yourself, they know nothing about me. They've got the whole story wrong. You know, I've always said a text outside of its context leaves you with the con. The same is true when it comes to judging people. You can say the same thing about life, that anything outside of its context, you have to be very careful how you relate what you say. It better be at least truthful and honest and real and if the person was to stand in the room the person was to walk in the room right behind you and they heard you say it would you say oh oh glad you're here did you hear that because i'm okay that you heard that okay gossip with malice all right um what what do we got oh here's 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 the tough one you refuse to correct when necessary Okay, we're really kind Canadians, right? Sorry. <laughs> yeah, you know, we love to apologize. We don't want to offend anybody and stuff like that. But how many times have you not corrected something or said something to somebody that you should have said, made the situation worse, and at least if you were honest with them, okay, it would have, it would have, it would have, worked out a lot better and you're not you know this is being discerning and i know in some respects this can kind of seem contrary to the forgiveness one but there are times and you know there are times that you have to stand up and say hey wait a minute you're you're not acting appropriately and you know this is a whole sermon in itself because you know you need to be the person that they're going to listen to because you've adopted a relationship with that person? Kylie, I wasn't talking about you. Okay? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I will. Okay? See, that's when necessary, right? Okay. <laughs> you know? It's okay to speak the truth in love. It is okay to speak the truth with grace. And, I, and again, I want to be very careful. Many of us struggle with being able to be graceful in the way that we speak the truth. Do I have a relationship with that person? Can I say what's needed to be said? And to do it because it's to a benefit of theirs and not a benefit of mine. If there's something attached to you saying something to them because it's going to lift my ego or it's going to be a time that I get them back or anything like that, you are already disqualified from going and talking to that person. Do you know that? Like biblically, you're disqualified. Find somebody else to do it. Okay? All right, uh, number six. You see others as hopeless, okay? 
The minute you see somebody else as hopeless, right away you're discounting the reality of the Bible that says that people can change. That by the power of the Spirit of God, you can influence their lives in such a way that would be at a positive trajectory for their lives to be drawn to the faith of Christ, to be drawn to faith, to be drawn to God, all of those kind of you know, beautiful things. I, I hate, I hate, I hate, I, I, I hate having those moments where my own, you know, my own sinfulness sees another person as hopeless. I, I, I don't know. That, that's the darkest, darkest part of my character is if I ever look at somebody and say, there's no hope for that person. That, takes, that absolutely takes the gospel right out of the picture. The reality that, that God sent his son Jesus to die for everyone. That the invitation is open to everyone. And we have no right to see another person as hopeless before the eyes of God. That we have no right to see another person as, as something that is far away from the touch of God. No matter what we may think of them, that's God's business, not ours. And, and, and that's probably one of the worst types of, of judgmentalism that we have in our culture and our society because right away we categorize people by, by certain, you know, in fact, if, if we're brutally honest, we'll say people elevated in our society are probably not just better off in life, but, but they've been favored by God, right? You know, if we're, if we're really careful, if we're brutally honest, because we want to be there ourselves. But it's automatically taking the gospel out of the equation, which is such an important, important part of what we're talking about here. Um, you know, you can boil all these down to two, two even simpler questions. And here, here are the, the two simpler questions. Two questions. Whenever I, I, I tend to be judgmental and when I want to be judgmental, I ask these two questions. Am I being Christ-oriented? When I'm, when I'm in this situation, when I'm in this circumstance, when I'm in this relationship, you know, is my focus in this relationship about, about being Christ-like to that person? And I've got to tell you, there's going to be moments when you're going to say to yourself, oh, why did I say that to them? Would Christ have said that to them? Would Christ have acted that way to them? Would Christ have, okay? You know, very important question, right? And how, you know, that, that fosters in your life such a dependency on God. It's unbelievable. Second question I like to ask is, am I being hope-oriented? And the reason I like asking this question, you can be Christ to somebody else and you can still be judgmental, right? You know? But, but if, you, if you have to have the hard conversation, if you have to have the difficult words, you know, are you able to build that person up so that they would want to change, need to change, see the, see the, you know, see the veracity of the words that you're using to tell them and encourage them to change, right? Am I being hope-oriented? People do not like being judged because right away what they feel like is there's no hope for them. And when people feel hopeless, they feel helpless. And helpless people don't do a lot of good for themselves when they feel that way. 
hope-oriented, Christ-oriented, because that's what we as the church are called to be. We as the church are called to be. Truth, truth is a, is a dangerous commodity. We've got to be very careful how we wield it as the church. All right, um, let, me, let me close this out. Um, any questions? <laughs> tough subject, right? Isn't that a tough subject, isn't it? Right? I hope in the last six weeks as we, as we wrestle through this toxic thing, that, that, you, you know, let, let me back up. Let me back up. I know, I know, I know, for many of you here this morning, you're thinking about a family relationship. You're thinking of a, of, of a work relationship. You're thinking of, of how, you know, how am I going to deal with these things right now? Because they're very real. It's easy, it's easy to be judgmental. It is easy to put yourself in a place above other people. But ask yourself, the question we asked earlier, how are my actions and my reactions affecting the faith of another person? And and if you ask that question... I would guarantee that you are going to likely change the way you interact with that person. Because for Jesus, bringing a small child in the midst of the disciples, that was a key way that he had to demonstrate what was the most important thing that the disciples had to remember is how their actions and reactions were going to affect the faith of people around them. It had nothing to do with privilege. It had nothing to do with authority. It had nothing to do with what their place was going to be in the kingdom of God. It had everything to do about how they were going to affect the faith, even of a little child. Pretty important stuff, I would say. And it's, it, it'll make all the difference in the way that the church is seen around the world. Because the reality is, everyone Everyone, regardless of what you think, everyone needs a relationship with Jesus Christ. Sometimes we are what's in the way of that happening. That's all that Jesus is talking about here. I uh, came across this... uh, article from a couple of years ago. Um, longtime British journalist Malcolm Muggeridge. I don't know if any of you know um, Malcolm Muggeridge. Um, he talks about the time that he met Mother Teresa. And uh, he was filming a BBC documentary about her work. And as he was walking along with Mother Teresa, he was absolutely captivated by her deep compassion for the poorest of the poor in Calcutta slums. But he, at the time, was an unbeliever, and he, had, he wanted nothing to do with the church. Um, 
He was an under, un, unbeliever and he couldn't accept her faith. Uh, especially, what especially kept him back was that he could not join the church. Uh, it was such an imperfect and such a flawed institution and incredibly judgmental. So once when Mother Teresa was visiting London, he and Muggeridge took a walk. She and Muggeridge took a walk. And he, he writes this. He says, I took up my well-prepared defensive position about the church whose deficiencies, crumbling barricades, and woeful future prospects I expiated upon with little effect. After Mother Teresa left London, she wrote Muggeridge back a letter and enclosed a small devotional book. And here is a model. The article says, here is a model of how to share your faith in a loving way to a man like Muggeridge, Malcolm Muggeridge. This is what she wrote to him. I think I understand you better now. I don't know why, but you to me are like Nicodemus. And I'm sure the answer is the same. Unless you become a little child, I'm sure you will understand beautifully everything if you would only become a little child in God's hands. Your longing for God is so deep, and yet he keeps himself away from you. He must be forcing himself to do so because he loves you so much as to give Jesus to die for you and for me. I love this line. Christ is longing to be your food. Surrounded with fullness of living food, you allow yourself to starve. The personal love Christ has for you is infinite. The small difficulty you have regarding his church is finite. Overcome the finite with the infinite. Christ has created you because he wanted you. I know what you feel, terrible longing with deep, dark emptiness, and yet he is the one in love with you. Isn't that powerful? Eight years before Muggeridge died, he came, overcame all his objections and publicly joined the church. And if you know anything about his life, he became a big advocate for Christianity simply because someone loved him enough with the objections he had and did it in a way that spoke to his deepest longings, his deepest needs, and all of that. Whenever we judge somebody... We circumvent the power of God to work in their life and we distance them from the very faith we claim we want them to embrace. Let us not be toxic like this barrel with its oozing out because a lot of times this barrel represents what people think the church is. Right? I was going to have somebody pop out of this at the end of the sermon series. All green and gooey. And then, no, actually, I was going to do green and gooey at the beginning and then come out white and pure at the end, right? You know? Okay? So let's, you know, I, I, I hope these six weeks have been helpful because it's a very difficult place that we find ourselves as a church around the world. And if we're truly, truly people of the gospel, let us never treat anyone in a hopeless way.
for the sake of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this uh, amazing passage that, you know, puts in the midst of these disciples who ask what appears at first to be a pretty innocent question, and yet Jesus uses it to teach a, a lesson for each and every one of us today. How many of us would long to be great? How many of us would long to be, you know, seen as above others? How many of us don't like the place that we are presently in our lives? And we can look at others with a sense of distaste or a sense of jealousy, a sense of envy, and all those characteristics that can happen and come into our lives. And yet, we know that when we get that way, that even though we might feel better, even though it might uh, even make us right, how much is it affecting the faith of someone else that you died for, that you gave your life for, that you long to see as part of the kingdom of heaven and drawing to them a desire to come like children with childlike faith. Lord, as a church, grow us in our love and our compassion and our desire to reach out and to be the hands and feet of Jesus regardless of what our own difficulties are. So Lord, thank you for this series as we conclude and pray that as we gather next week that you would once again bring us here safely as we continue to learn and grow together in Jesus' name. Amen.